0: Good morning. Are we on? Let's see. Larry, what do we got here? Test one, two. Test one, two. Test one, two. Test, 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 test. Just a second. Test one, two. There we go. Bad connection here. Okay. Let's try that again. Good morning. morning. I am really happy to be with y'all. Is it going in and out? All right. Has that got it better? All right. Larry's going to fix me up. While y'all are turning with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, so join me there. Book of Hebrews, chapter 3, and we're going to study together in the Lord's Word as we work out our uh, technical difficulties here. I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to share the Lord's Word with you today, particularly leading up to Thanksgiving, and especially in light of the text that is before us today, um, it, it really comes together here in the book of Hebrews in a way that I had not anticipated in my study. So, as we get to this place today, you're going to discover along with me some things that, that I discovered this past week and that all fit together for Thanksgiving. Because when you're preaching through a book and then you have a special occasion, you say, How is that going to fit together? And so uh, the way it's going to fit together is exactly how it's written. So Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, am I coming through okay now? Okay, I think we're squared away now. If it starts breaking up, just hang with us. Okay, uh, back when I was in college, um, I some of you know my story about being ejected from one college and going to another one, and that one that I went to was a military college, and uh, that college had a group called the Mountain Order of Colombo. They were a mountaineering squad that did uh, training for special mountain tactics for the military. And so there were all kinds of things related to that. That's a whole other story. But in order to try out, you had to do several things. You had to be able to do 40 push-ups, you had to be able to do 20 pull-ups or chin-ups, and you had to be able to uh, do 40 sit-ups, and then you had to do what was called the mountain run. And uh, I had no idea what the mountain run was, but it sounded good to me. And so I signed up to join the Mountain Order of Colombo. They said, you come show up in your uh, your fatigue pants, a white t-shirt, and your your combat boots. And so I showed up in my green fatigue pants and a white t-shirt and combat boots. And we commenced to testing everybody. Uh, We did the sit-ups. We did the push-ups. We did the pull-up, chin-up. And and they said, okay, you guys all pass. It's time for the mountain run. You have to do this run. It's a 3.1 mile run. And I thought, probably never run that far before, but I'm good for that. And so we took off in formation, and we were running in formation at a certain cadence. Uh, there was a guy running beside us, kind of singing the cadence all along with all these funny songs about my mom and things like that. It was kind of crazy, and but we just kept running, and... It was all nice and good, and we ran off the campus and started up the hill. And I noticed that the, we were going up a pretty good hill. So we went up that hill, and I thought, that'll be good. This looks like the top of this hill. So we hit that, and we took a right and turned, and there was this enormous hill in front of us. We're talking about Dahlonega, Georgia, some pretty good mountains there. And we start up that hill, and I am fading very fast. When it all started, I was all pumped up and gung-ho and talking military talk and all that. But about this point, I was done. I'm the kind of done that is on the side of the road sick. If you've ever been on a run like this, some of you are doing this because you remember maybe some military training or some of it, and you remember exactly what I'm talking about. And it was very embarrassing for me, and all my gung-ho had just left but I really wanted to be a part of this mountaineering team. And so I would leave the side of the road and try to catch back up with the formation, which caused the whole process to start over of going to the side of the road again. And so it was getting very embarrassing for me and a couple of other guys who were really in bad shape. And this guy that had been running running alongside of us singing these nice songs was up there yelling at us. He was not singing anymore. And he was yelling things like, I can't even repeat to you now, and, and trying to get us to keep going. And and he saw that some of us really wanted to keep going because after we leave the side of the road, we get back in and we go as far as we could and visit the side of the road again. And that process kept going up this hill. and And literally, I thought the hill went like to heaven because it did not look like it was going to stop. And at this point, I was cross-eyed, panting, breathing, and the fun was gone. If you've ever heard the B.B. King song, The Thrill is Gone, we were there. It was over. There was no fun anymore. It was pure drudgery and misery. But I really wanted to be a part of this organization. So I jumped back in and started running again. Well, the guy who was the one singing beside us, who now was kind of yelling words of exhortation to us, um, decided that I really looked like I wanted to be in this. So he got up in my face and he said, They called me Getty Lee at the time because when I arrived at college, I had really long hair and I already have kind of the big nose and face of the guy who sings for the group Rush. And so I looked a lot like him. So they, he says, Getty Lee, do you really want to be, do you really want to be a green stick? That's what they called the, the learners in the Mountain Order of Colombo. And I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I was still sick, but I was, I was, yes. And so he said, you really want to be in this. And I'm telling you, the thrill was still gone, but I really wanted to be in. And I was at the point, I'm not joking, I was almost delirious. Because of lack of oxygen. There was no oxygen going to my brain, so not much made sense at this point, except I really wanted to be a green stick. And so I was, yes, sir! And so he said, get on my back. Now we're going up a hill where men are falling out and being sick. And they are just literally barely moving. And this guy says, get on my back. I said, sir, get on my back, Getty Lee. Yes, sir. So back then I was a lot lighter. I weighed about 110 pounds. And so I climbed up and he got me at piggyback. He got me on his back. And he not only caught up with those guys, he started running circles around them with me on his back. And in his ear, I'm yelling, You are the man! You are the man! Literally, I'm delirious and I'm yelling that. I mean, it was crazy. And so he's running circles around them. And we get up to the top and it planes out. He drives him back down and says, Let's get back in. Let's go. And man, I am so fired up now because of his encouragement that I am going to run deliriously the rest of this run, which thankfully from that point on was not as steep. Later on became a downhill run back to the college. And so I was really fired up. Now, here's what's happening. We're in the book of Hebrews. When these folks got saved, they were a lot like me wanting to try out for the Mountain Order of Colombo. They were all fired up about Jesus. But right now, they're running up a hill, and many of them are stopped on the side of their spiritual road, delirious and sick from the run, and wondering if they're going to ever make it in this thing called the Christian life. And they are in need of someone like Captain Bill to come and to give exhortation and, if necessary, to carry them. That's where they're at. So as we dive in today, if you pull your outlines out, we're going to start by reviewing what's going on. If we're going to understand... This text. And we're going, to, we're going to apply it to our lives. Here's the first thing that's going to have to happen. We need to recognize, number one, the condition of the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews. They are on something like this mountain run. And their faith is being tested and strained at this minute. They're on the side of the road, aching from the run, sick from the stress, and they're wondering, am I going to make it? They're considering... Dropping out. First, letter A, they're suffering. They're losing their homes. They're losing their incomes. They're losing their inheritances. They're losing their friends. They're losing their families. They're losing their circles of influence. They're losing their popularity. And they are moving to the bottom of the bunch. And they're suffering, letter B, they're enduring. They've been at it a while and they're tired from it. They're like people on that mountain run started out. Woo-hoo! Some of you remember the joy of your salvation when you first came to the Lord and things were just as high and holy and happy as you can imagine. And then through course of life and events, suddenly you're at a place and you're standing on the side of your spiritual road on a big hill and your knees are weak, your stomach is sick, your head is throbbing, and you're wondering, can I... Make it up this hill. They're enduring. Third, they're tempted. They're tempted to quit and they're tempted by the things that are around them. One of the things we had to do on that mountain run was run by McDonald's. I'm telling you, I'm standing on the side of that hill. I'm sick, but I, I can smell french fries and I can think, man, I can quit this thing and head back to McDonald's and get me some fries and go back to my room and eat them. And... Be done with this thing. They're tempted by the things that are around them to give up and to quit. The world is tempting them. Their flesh is tempting them. The devil is tempting them. And so here is the condition of those recipients. And there's a danger that they enter into the paralysis of despair as a believer or the potential for destruction as an unbeliever. As we get into chapter 3 we need to understand that in this confessing community are both believers and unbelievers. I gave you an illustration a few weeks ago, and some people say in the book of Hebrews, how can it talk like people are going to walk away from God? And I gave you the illustration, and we'll flesh it out when we get to chapter 6, of the difference between an engagement where you say, I will, and a marriage where you say, I do. Some of these people who are here have said to Jesus, I will one day. And so they've identified themselves with the believing community, but they've not yet said, "I do." They've not had personal, repentant faith in Jesus Christ as God, Savior and king. They've not come to that point, but they've identified themselves saying, "I will. I'm kind of along for the ride. I'm identifying myself here. But in their heart, they've not made that genuine step of personal faith, repentance from sin, trusting Christ as Messiah. King, Savior, Lord over their lives. And so when we get to verse 12, join me there in chapter 3. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. So here are things that can happen to us. In our suffering, our enduring, and in our temptation, discouragement can enter our lives in such a way as to bring a believer to despair and paralysis or to bring an unbeliever to the potential for destruction. They've said, I will, but they never say, I do, because they get discouraged with the Christian witness and the Christian testimony and the Christian experience being alongside the believing community, yet not being a true part of it. So this is a challenge. So as we walk through the book of Hebrews, we need to understand that in this confessing community are those who've said, I will, and those who've said, I do. Those who've said, I do, are eternally secure, and we're going to see that preached through the text. But those who've said, I will, are in grave danger for their souls. They've not yet entered into believing faith and repentance, but they've identified themselves with the community. That's true of every church. Here today are people who've identified themselves with us in some way, some form or some fashion, even as much as baptism, but not yet having expressed personal faith in Jesus Christ. And so there is a danger for you, for your soul, even this hour. Those of you who are believers, the danger for you is that you fall into a paralyzed state of despair where because of discouragement, you become ineffective in your witness and almost as if invalid in your walk. And so it's a serious thing that's happening as the suffering, the enduring, and the temptation begins to take its toll. Just as that group of men are running up that hill, we see church members falling to the side falling behind, going to the side of the road. And we have to choose, will we become encouragers like Captain Bill, who not only will come and exhort, but also may be willing to carry someone for a period of time in our helping of their faith. Now the second thing we need to do is number two. Let's walk on through. Number two, we need to do three things. We need to first, overall, be reminded of the context of the illustration from Psalm 95. In verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, there is a quote from a psalm. And we need to understand what's going on back there so that it makes sense to us. So first, we look at their deliverance. Now, stop with me for a second and let's go back to the Exodus. When we get back to the book of the Exodus, let's go there and look in chapter 6 and read a quick summary. Exodus chapter 6. Just an overview here is the Lord's Word to the community. Chapter 6, verse 2. Here's what He's going to do. And this sets up the context for the psalm that is quoted. And then we'll see how it fits into the lives of the believers and the unbelievers in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 6 of the book of Exodus, verse 2. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appear to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. "...as God Almighty, but my name, Jehovah, I did not make myself known to them. And I also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourn. And furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because of the Egyptians, and they're holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel... I am Jehovah, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from their bondage and I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession for I am the Lord." That land is described in chapters 3 and 13 as flowing with milk and honey. So, essentially, I want you to see a parallel here. There's a parallel between the events in the book of Hebrews and the events in the book of Exodus. You have a group of people who have been shown the deliverance of God as a past experience. For those in Israel, the deliverance of God is the exodus described in chapter 6 takes place shortly after that and then the problems arise in chapter 16 and 17 their deliverance of past experience the people in the book of Hebrews hear the story of Jesus and the deliverance that he gives, a past experience where Jesus makes possible the salvation of those who believe in him and these people have come and identified themselves with him another thing that's mentioned here in chapter 6 is their destination, this future hope Remember that when we started studying the book of Hebrews, we talked about three things. Who Jesus is, what He did, and where He's taking us. Well, in the Exodus, we know who God is, what He has done, delivered them from Israel, where He is taking them, the promised land. And so they sit between who God is, what He has done, and where He's taking them. They're sitting in this place. So they have a deliverance past the Exodus experience. The Hebrews recipients to the book of Hebrews, they have an experience in the past. Jesus' work on the cross. Who Jesus is, what He has done. There's a parallel there. In fact, Paul calls Jesus our Passover lamb. The parallel is so strong. So here they are in the Exodus. God has done something phenomenal. He's delivered them. The mighty plagues, the Red Sea experience... And he's promised them a destination, just like in the book of Hebrews. They're promised an eternal glory. They're promised to be with Christ. They're promised a land that is to come, a rest that is to come. So there's this parallel between the book of Exodus experience, who God is, what he has done, and where he's taking them, Promised Land, and the book of Hebrews, who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and where he's taking them, and the The common factor that is being used in Hebrews 3 is this. They're both in the in-between. Number three, they're in the duration of time between the deliverance and the destination. That's the point of the book of Hebrews quoting Psalm 95. That there is a people who are confessing faith who are enduring between the event of deliverance and the destination to which they are being delivered. They're living in that duration between the two. So that's why Psalm 95 is mentioned at all, because it is a a recap of the Exodus experience and how it went bad. Now let's stop and think together. When... We get to Exodus chapter 16. Go there for a moment. We get the idea that the writer to the Hebrews is trying to tell us in chapter 3. You get a group of people who have seen a glorious act of God. Something unmistakable In the Exodus, they saw the ten plagues ending with the Passover, the death angel, the cries of the people as the firstborn in every house died. They have all these experiences and then they get to the Red Sea as they leave and Moses stretches out his staff and wow, the water opens up forming a wall on each side, dry land in between and nearly a million or more people pass through that water safely, get on the other side, Pharaoh's army comes in chasing after them. The waters close back in and swallow all of Pharaoh's army up and drown them in the Red Sea. And the people of Israel see a miraculous act of God A God who loves them, a God who delivers, a God who saves, a God who calls. And so here they are on the other side of the Red Sea, having experienced that deliverance, having not yet reached their destination, land flowing of milk and honey, and so they're in that duration in between. Here's a people in the book of Hebrews that have seen the work of God in Christ, the death of the Messiah, the resurrection, the promise of His reign from heaven. And they have said, they've identified with Him, either genuinely or not genuinely, but they've identified with Him, but they've still not reached their destination. They're in that duration. And so here in the book of Exodus, chapter 16, something happens that's important to chapter 3 in the book of Hebrews and to you and I as believers. It's very simple. Rather than appreciating the glory of of their deliverance and worshipping. Rather than anticipating the glory of their destination and hoping, they get caught up in the agony of the duration between deliverance and destination. They get caught up in the temporal suffering so much so, listen carefully, that they would rather not be delivered. This is important. Read with me chapter 16. Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month. Verse 2, And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat, and when we had bread to the full, for you to have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now Listen to what they're saying. It would be better for them to have never been delivered and to die under God's judgment with full bellies than to live by faith on their way to the destination of glory. They're trading eternal glory for temporal satisfaction. It is what the entire world we live in is doing today. They would rather have the pleasures of this present age than the promise of God's deliverance in eternity. And so the result, these people turn from God and God pronounces upon them that they will not see the destination. Please make sure that you catch how serious this is So that not simply be, okay, that was a sermon, that illustration, and we got that, let's go to the house. This is so serious that that it's weighing upon us that the command that we're given in the title of this sermon comes from that command. Come with us now. Back to Hebrews chapter 3, and let's flesh out what are we supposed to do in light of this knowledge, and how is it handled in the text? Okay. Take care. Verse 12. Lest there be should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. That means of the confessing community, it could be very much like the people who were coming through the exodus. They participated with their body, but not with their heart. So they never had a faith relationship with God that, that, that brought them the promise of the promised land. Some of you could be along for the ride in church. You could have gone through Sunday school and the baptistry and membership and leadership and everything else. And you could be here today and you've only been a participant physically but never spiritually. So that what's in danger is whether or not you actually reach the destination. So in light of that, the writer to the Hebrews gives us a very important command in verse 13. And that's where we are today, saying, what do we do with that command? We've talked about it twice. Here's a third time reflecting on the idea of thanksgiving. But encourage one another day after day. This is an encouragement, and the encouragement is broken into two parts. So, number three, Joe. All right, one more click. There. Thank you realize the urgency of the call to encourage one another right now in this moment two things we need to be about to encourage believers and unbelievers away from hardening read the text but encourage one another day after day. How often is that? How, how often is day after day? It's just it's all the time, isn't it? It's today, tomorrow, okay? So long as it is still called today, lest any one of you, here's the first thing we need to encourage. We need to encourage them away from hardening, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now There are two avenues here. For the unbeliever, the one who is here among us, you've identified physically but not spiritually, you could be hardened from genuine salvation by the wiles of the devil. That could happen to you. And we as a believing community need to labor together for those among us who are only here physically but are not yet connected to us spiritually that we protect them from the hardening of sin that would keep them from ever moving from I will to I do. Moving from an idea of an engagement to the idea of a marriage. And some of you who are here, you're in the I will place. You've not come to the I do. But I want to warn you that you could easily be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin the way that I look at this is like the space shuttle. I don't know if you've studied the space shuttle, but the space shuttle was designed for re-entry with these particular tiles on the bottom and the face of the space shuttle. So that as this thing re-entered the orbit, those, those special tiles were heat-resistant. And they were able to endure the incredible temperatures of re-entry into the atmosphere as the space shuttle would come back in and re-enter the atmosphere. These temperatures get incredibly hot, so much so that these tiles glow red as, as they're coming through because of the heat. But they shield the inside from heat. And we learned just a few years ago that if even one of those breaks down, what happens? What happens if one of those tiles breaks down? Do you remember what happened? as we saw one of those space shuttles literally break apart and pieces begin to just fall to the earth as everyone in it perished. You and I have to help build a shield around each other that we can corporately and individually endure the heat of temptation, aggravation, strife, Pressure, persecution, so that none of those things penetrate into the heart of our being and harden us, if we are unbelievers, unto destruction or if we are believers unto despair. We have a job to insulate each other with encouragement of biblical truth. Letter B, towards faithful, enduring... The first thing is to, 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 to encourage each other and protect from hardening from the effects of living life in this world. As a believer or even as a, an unbeliever who's identified with the church, said, I will, but not yet I do. But we want to protect you so that you can understand the faith and make a genuine connection with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance from sin. But the second thing is towards faithful enduring. Take a look at the second part of that. Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14 for if we, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We want to make sure that people... Now, there's a second thing about the space shuttle when it comes back in. It not only needs heat shields, it has to stay oriented a certain way. If it gets out of orientation, that heat hits another part of the vehicle and immediately burns it up. What we've got to do is not only provide a heat shield through encouragement and the truth of God's Word for each other and for ourselves uh, as, as we deal with the heat of this life, we also have to keep things oriented by right doctrine, right belief, truth about God. We have to keep things oriented so that we don't expose the tender part of the craft to the heat that it was never intended to take. If one of us gets off the course of following Christ and the truth of His Word and who He is and what He has done, we are easily consumed by the heat of this world. So there is an urgent call for us to encourage each other, providing a shield and providing proper orientation by the instruction and encouragement of biblical truth. Now I'm racing through this to bring you to an end because it takes us somewhere. Now listen carefully. Not everybody who who identifies themselves with a local congregation, not everybody will be an encourager. Listen carefully. There will be some who are discouragers. Notice what it says in verse 13, but encourage one another. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 10 just for a moment where it is expanded on the idea of encouragement. Let me take you there. Place your finger on this. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not to forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near what's happening here? They're considering how to provoke each other to love and good deeds, they're not forsaking our assembling but encouraging one another my brothers and sisters within our own flock, people will call they'll contact, they'll email and they will sow seeds of doubt discouragement and discord to try to disorient your shuttle on re-entry and it will cause you to have severe damage in your spiritual life. And some of you who are not yet there of genuine faith, you've said I will but not I do. You may get discouraged and totally lose your soul. So I want to share with you that you need to protect yourself from discouragers if through contacts by phone or email or by conversations, people begin to discourage your faith and your walk and your attendance, I want you to politely and carefully not let that take you in. But I want to turn it around and do the opposite. And that's how we close. And this is glorious. I'm going to do this quickly and then give you a closing illustration. Here we go. The question is for me and you, how do we do this? How are we going to encourage each other? Is there a biblical pattern? For me and you to encourage each other. If it's so vital that it has to do with the, the eternal destiny of those who've said, I will, but not yet okay, not yet I do, or those who are in here who could be hardened into a paralysis of despair, what do we do? Well, that's the glory of what happens in Psalm 95. Go there because it gives us direct instruction. I'm going to walk through it. Then Sean and I are going to flesh it out a little bit more in our afternoon service today as we gather today for our Thanksgiving service. Psalm 95. This is quick. It's beautiful. It'll give you some things to take home and say, I can do this. Psalm 95, where the quote from Hebrews 3 comes from about not hardening your heart, starts out this way. How do we encourage each other? Joe, help me out. But how? Here we go. Number one, invitation to worship. Every one of us, every day, day by day, need to be inviting each other to worship God. This needs to be the pattern of our lives. Twice in Psalm 95, he says, Oh, come. This is an invitation. It says to people, you matter to me. You matter to me. You matter to me. You matter to the kingdom. You matter to the church. Oh, come. We go to people and we say to them, come. Be a part of the worship of God with us. You are vital to us. We are vital to you. And worship is vital to all of us. Two times, verse 1 and verse 6. Come. Come. There's the idea of invitation. Second, there is the inspiration for worship. What is the inspiration? We need to be careful here. We need to be really careful because a lot of times we get our inspiration from the wrong place. We'll say, well, the preaching was good or bad. Or we'll say, well, the music was good or bad. Or we'll say some kind of thing that we begin to build our inspiration from. Well, that was the good old hymns I like. Or that was the good new hymns I like. Or that was the real style of preaching I like. That's a real style of singing I like. And all of a sudden, we'll start building our inspiration for worship around something other than what God's Word says. Verse 1, Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our what? That's the inspiration for worship. My brothers and sisters, when we show up here, if it's about anything other than Jesus, we're blowing it. it. Let's just get right down, down to it. If it's about the music or the preacher, if it's about the environment or if it's about your friends, we're blowing it. The inspiration for our worship is one thing. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our salvation. This is the heart of worship. Is gathering to celebrate who He is, what He has done for us. Jesus is Lord. He is King. He is God. He is Savior. What has He done? He's died on the cross for our sins and been raised from the dead. He's interceding at this moment. Where is He taking us? He's taking us to be with Him. And so we're here today to celebrate that. The inspiration of our worship is what fires us up? Jesus fires us up to gather for worship. Number three, we involve people in worship. We say, let us sing. Let us shout. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Maker. They're inviting involvement. When we come here... Guys, I know you think I'm going to come here and i got this manly thing about not singing in public. The Bible commands us to sing to one another. Your children, your spouse need to hear you sing praise to God even if it's at a tempo or something that you're not accustomed to. Sing with gusto to encourage the congregation involvement in worship. Singing, shouting joyfully. When's the last time you gave a bigger shout in church than you did at a football game? Is there something wrong with that? Man, they, they, you, our football team, whoever we're rooting for, they score. woo Did you see that? Did you see that? When is the last time you pointed at the cross like that? Where our joy, shout joyfully, coming before His presence with thanksgiving, fill in the courts here of a place to praise God together. Number four, information-prompting worship. What does it say? It begins to expound on who He is and what He's done for us. What does it say? He's a great King. A great King above all gods. In whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His. For it is He who made it. And His hands formed the dry land. Come and let us bow down and worship. Kneel before Him. He's our Maker. He's our God. We're the people of His pasture. The sheep of His hand. What is he saying? It's telling us who God is. All that we do is information-prompting worship. When we speak to each other, we need to speak to each other in invitation, in inspiration for worship through Christ, in involvement. Let us and in information-prompting worship by saying this is who God is and what he has done for us. And then finally, an invitation for response to worship. And what do we do? Look in the end of verse 7 today if you would hear his voice. That's the one thing we've got to all be after is that everybody we invite in our own selves come here to hear from God. To hear His Word. To receive it. And to respond. I'm going to close with two true stories and ask you to ponder them in your response. When I was pastoring at Evans Creek Baptist Church, Started that in 1991. Pastored there through the end of 1997 going into 1998. When I pastored there, I met a lady that lived on the property that joined the church. Her family had given the property that the church sat on. And I noticed she didn't attend church and she was kind of cold to me. So I tried to become friends with her and I eventually did we became friends, Sherry and I and her, some members of her family became friends. So one day we finally got to the place where we could have just a plain conversation, get beyond the how are you and what's going on, what do you do for a living. I said, you know, I, <clears throat> I noticed you never come to this church and, and literally you can reach out your window and just about touch the building. Tell me why. She said, well, here's why. When I was a child, I was playing piano. Very talented, very able. I played piano even on Sunday, Sunday morning worship. And I was a young teenager at the time. And the church got into an argument about something. And that argument kept growing and growing. And finally, it spilled out into a yelling fight. that spilled out into a physical on the front porch of the church a physical altercation with men hitting each other on the front porch of the church. She said, if this is what it's about, I'll have nothing to do with it the rest of my life. And she held true. She is a professed agnostic today. has nothing to do with the church. You see, she was in that period between I will and I do. And those who ought to have been giving strong encouragement to her, We're busy about something other than the kingdom. Something other than the king. And the result is a soul ruined. I have another friend. His name is Glenn Mizell. Some of you know him because you've ministered to him. He's a member at Parkway Baptist Church in Natchez. I spoke with Glenn just this morning, kind of going back over the story Again, checking his permission to tell the story. He said, certainly. Glenn, on New Year's morning, nineteen—excuse me, uh, 2008, thought he heard a burglar in his house. Got up, got his gun. When he got up and looked out the back window, he didn't know, but his wife got up out of bed. She went all the way to the other end of the house. His house was totally pitch black. Two, two houses up had been burglarized just the night before. So he was very, very anxious. The night that that other house had been burglarized, they'd actually come down to Glenn's house and unscrewed all his safety lights so they wouldn't turn on. And Glenn, thankfully, had found that. And so he got up and he looked out that back window. And while he's looking out the back window, trying to see if somebody's there, he doesn't know. It. His wife gets up out of bed, goes all the way to the end of the house, he takes his pistol, starts working room to room through the house. He gets to his kitchen. There's only one light on in his whole house. It's a computer monitor with a screensaver. He sees a body pass in front of that computer monitor and that screensaver, and he yells, Stop! And his wife is the body passing in front of it, but he doesn't know it. And she hears him yell, oh, stop. So she's scared, so she runs to him. He feels the body running toward him after yelling, Stop! And he pulls the trigger, and in his arms dies his wife 5 a.m. that morning a mutual friend of ours called me and said Bart Glenn shot Deborah I said it's New Year's morning don't mess with me Tommy Quinn he said no she's dead I got in the shower embittered with God and wrestled through that went to begin to minister to him I got back to you our congregation and I, and I, and everybody was gathered on the Sunday. I said I need y'all to do something for me. So just do this one thing for me. I just want everybody, I'm going to give you an address, I'm going to give you a name. I want everybody to go home and just write a card to this man. You don't know him. I love him. He's a brother said, I just want you to write a card to this man. Just write it out. And you did. By the hundreds. His mailbox couldn't hold all the cards. But you have no idea about the importance of those cards. Because about four or five months later, Glenn decided he was going to take his life. He could not live with the fact that he had accidentally shot and killed his wife. And so he got his pistol out, the same pistol that had taken her life. And he sat down on the end of his bed, had the loaded pistol in his hand. He said, but right beside him was a stack of cards from Kingsville Baptist Church. He reached down and he picked up those cards. And with a pistol in one hand and cards from you in his other hand, he began to read the scriptures you wrote him. The stories of your faith and your crisis. The stories of your struggles and your successes. The stories of your belief in the Lord Jesus. He began to pour thumbing card by card through those encouragements that you stuffed his mailbox with. You don't even know him. And he he called me and he said, Bart, you won't believe what happened today. I said, what Glenn? He said, I sat on the end of my bed. In one hand, I had a pistol to take my life. In the other hand, I had cards from your church. And I laid my pistol down. And I just wept. And I trusted that God's going to bring me through this minute. you know what was happening? Glenn was running up that hill. He was on the side of the road. He was sick. He couldn't go another step. And you ran up beside him and you said, I know you can't go another step. I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me carry you. Let me carry you. And Glenn got up on your back and you toted him through the darkest day of his life. And you didn't even know it. But you had the faithfulness to write a letter of Scripture to say to him, Now brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, which... One, do we want to be known by? Do we want to be known as the fighters that drive people to agnosticism? Or do we want to be known as the encouragers that believe this gospel that can deliver men from taking their own lives? Which do we want to be known as? This morning, I want to encourage you to be known as the kind of encourager in the book of Hebrews that invites everybody by invitation to worship the Lord Jesus. Christ. And that's how I close. Some of you have said I will, but you've never said I do. And you need to walk right down here this morning and say I do. You need to make a public confession of identity with Jesus that is following a private time of faith repentance from sin and belief that Jesus died for your sins and was raised from the dead. That He is who He says He is. That He did what He said He did. And that He's taken us where He says He's going to take us. Let's bow together. Would you stand? As God stirs your heart, would you come?